Once again to the Bioprocess Insider Expression Platform, a semi-regular podcast delving into some of the areas surrounding biomanufacturing that don't make it into the news pages of your favourite B2B website, Bioprocess Insider, but do pique the interest of the wider biopharma industry. Now, my name is Dan Stanton, founder and editor of said publication, and this episode I bring to you a discussion with Bikash Chatterjee and Stephanie Goulding, the respective CEO and MD at drug development consultancy firm Pharmatech Associates. And they're talking about current outsourcing strategies and how to go about selecting a CDMO partner. Now, this is a reproduction of a recent LinkedIn Live event that I hosted ahead of the CPHI Worldwide event in Frankfurt, Germany, which is taking place in November. As an aside, if you are attending that event, or indeed if you're going to Biotech Week Boston in late September, then get in touch and maybe we can chat face to face. Anyhow, back to this podcast, and Bikash and Stephanie both spoke about the myriad of partnering and outsourcing strategies innovators can take, as well as discussed some of the specific challenges for accelerated pathways, especially for biologics and cell and gene therapies. I began by asking about the different outsourcing models available to sponsors, whether it be using a single large provider like a Fermo Fisher, a Kaplan or a Wuji, or using a multi-provider model. And it was Bikash who kicked us off. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the Bioprocess Insider Expression Platform with Bikash Chatterjee and Stephanie Goulding, a CPHI Worldwide Preview. Uh, well, there are strengths and weaknesses associated with each of those models. Uh, if you look at the one-stop shop out there, obviously, uh, with the larger folks, they have a couple of advantages. They have resources, right? And resources are a key component when you're trying to bring value to your customers. And in this case, value is translated to either shrinking that time to market or reducing the overall uh, risk associated with your program as you do development together. Um, but the, the same considerations exist as they would with small and mid-size uh, CDMOs. The larger ones suffer from the same challenges and risks that the mid-size ones do. They have uh, talent drain. They have uh, resources that they have to allocate. I always tell folks that you have to realize that a CDMO allocates about, on average, seven hours a, a week of project management support for your program. Not very much. So you need to have focused conversations. Um, and when you start looking at the partnering component of that, uh, the dependency you're going to have on that particular CDMO to lead, to innovate, or just to execute is really, really important. And so one-stop shops obviously are going to have access to more resources because they tend to, they tend to understand the entire drug development process to a greater extent, at least they offer services to a greater extent around that. Uh, I always tell folks that it's really hard to be good at everything. And so when you're looking at these one-stop shops, you need to think about what the core component of your development program's needs are. So for example, if you're considering 
technology transfer expertise and scale-up expertise as really the kind of support you're looking to bring your program from phase one to phase two or phase two to potentially commercial at that point then you need to be evaluating those components as part of the overall assessment uh going forward and the evaluation has got to be more than uh an audit checklist you need to have you need to have a clear understanding of the kinds of expertise and the kinds of experience that you're looking for in trying to solve and navigate some of these problems and if they've actually supported a program similar to your platform uh, as you're going into market so have they worked with simple monoclonal antibodies have they worked with CAR T programs have they worked with the new cell and gene uh, aspects out there and, and so if so then uh, what has been their experience in the regulatory uh, situation taking those products successfully through the health authorities so i think that's one of the key things with the one-stop shop that uh, you really need to spend a little bit of time with uh, uh, they have the potential to, to support you in a myriad of ways but as i said they can't be good at everything and understanding where you really need the need is is an important component when you're doing this as an assessment so stephanie what are your thoughts there on the one-stop shop model and um I, if we can talk about different modalities, does it really depend on what the um, what the end user's molecule is with regards to uh, the expertise that they would be looking at from a either a single CDMO or uh, multiple outsourcing partners? Yeah, so I think you know Bikash highlighted an, a number of factors to kind of consider and and challenges when you start to look at um, those kind of one stop shops. I think when I look at at those, you know, certainly looking at their full breadth of development and technical expertise and when you look at at uh, modalities you know certainly understanding their technical expertise and spending time getting to know them up front is extremely important in making those decisions and considerations uh, for your sourcing partner and certainly with many decisions you know there's always a, a conversation about um, whether or not the long-term vision for the product is ultimately something that's going to need more capacity than a single sourcing provider could actually provide for a particular drug sponsor. And those are all considerations that as you're choosing those outsourcing partners, you need to, to really look at. Um, staying with you, Stephanie, in the report, we had a consensus of sorts that somewhere between late phase one and phase two, you kind of need to lock in those long-term processes and um, secure the CDMO capabilities. Um, is, is that the case that you found from um, the, the end users that you work with? And uh, I guess, how does that affect CDMO choice? Yeah, no, certainly there there was a consensus in the report that 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 really somewhere between late phase one and phase two, you know, kind of locking in those choices um, is really certainly important. Um, it, it's something that actually stems back to those initial selection processes and, and understanding what you're trying to accomplish, the kind of products you're gonna manufacture. Um, you really want to spend the time getting to know them from a technical perspective, but you also want to understand them from a standpoint, if they're going to be your one-stop shop, taking you all the way from the early clinical stages, all the way through commercial production, you really also want to look at their capabilities early on for supporting you at that type of level. And in terms of things like inspection histories, um, 
whether or not they've able, been able to support pre-approval inspections and get products through on the first pass for those types of activities. Do they have a good robust inspection history? Um, and also I think with, with some of the products that are out there now, um, certainly in the cell and gene therapy space, there's this, this new technology aspect that comes into play with making those, those selections. So if you're gonna lock in with a provider uh, for a drug development pathway to, to commercialization, making sure that they really understand the technologies that you're looking to employ, especially if it's something that's new. Maybe it's something you're bringing to the table. Um, how, what is their expertise? Challenging them from that perspective uh, in the early questions. Um, and again, it, it all kind of starts with those initial conversations that can happen at an event like CPHI, but it really dovetails into longer, deeper conversations uh, that happen before you you make those choices. Um, and I'm always a proponent of spending the time getting to know prospective partners before you actually sign the contracts and make commitments. Because when you get into those relationships, often once you start down that pathway, the transfer process, if something's not going well, can be challenging, especially with, with cell gene therapy products, some of these complex biological products. Uh, transferring those processes from one CDMO to another CDMO is extremely technically challenging. And so if you're making that selection for the, in essence, the, the startup of your product, making sure that you've made a good choice in that partner and that you're going to have a good cultural fit between the two organizations, you're going to be able to work well together during the drug development cycle through the commercialization process is also going to be important. So the report talked about that sort of late phase one, early phase two time. But um, from what you're saying, Stephanie, or from what I'm kind of gauging, perhaps there's a case um, to be had to, uh, to kind of look earlier than that, maybe in the in early phase one or even preclinical. Uh, Bikash, what are your thoughts here? When 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 is it best to kind of tap down that CDMO capacity and uh, process capability? Well, I think it's really important to understand what you're looking for. All right, so. Uh, the earlier you are in the overall clinical program of your of your of your project, here, it, are you looking for them to participate as an innovation partner to help you solve some of these process design uh, and CMC questions early on, method development perhaps, impurities characterization? There's a number of different elements here which are essential to being able to move this product safely and satisfy the health authorities' expectations for drug development there. So the challenge is, as you move later into the clinical program, you're moving from innovation to execution, right? You're hoping to buy someone that, uh, to engage with a partner here that's got systems, expertise, and experience in how to do this quickly and efficiently and effectively going forward. So they're kind of two different skill sets. So you really need to know what's going on. And the challenge for a drug sponsor here is that, depending on your molecule, you could be in an accelerated evaluation situation where you could get breakthrough drug status de designation for existence or fast track designation. Both of those are great from an investor perspective, but they're really challenging from a drug sponsor perspective there, right? And so now you could find yourself in a situation where you're gonna go right from phase two B to commercial. You're basically in your pivotal clinical study at that point. And that has huge implications to your ability as a drug sponsor to effectively do what you need to do. We're talking about CMC at this point, right? So if we go to a company, let's say we go to a large one-stop shop and these guys are great at commercial, 80% of their customers are commercial. These are the guys you go to for commercial. 
right? But now I'm doing develop, I'm in phase one, two. So is their quality system built around commercial or do they have a component of it that's built around development? This makes a big difference. If I can't get the, the data for my experimental design for eight or 10 weeks because quality's got to release it, if they won't give me the raw data associated with the analytical testing, the chromatograms, for example, or uh, the process data from the uh, manufacturing runs because that's their data, it's not your data, that's a problem. So these are the kinds of things you need to articulate when you meet with them. So when I'm at CPHI, I have my questionnaire when I'm gonna meet with these different CDMO partners and we start talking about how they handle these different phases. And when I'm not looking for generalities, I'm looking for specificity. Yes, we've got a process around that. We will sign a development report. Within the development report, we're gonna handle intellectual property questions because if they're now your innovation partner, right, they're gonna be innovating. So how do we handle those IP questions? You want a partner that's had experience in dealing with these things so we don't have to improvise and make it up as we go through this journey. So a lot of these different elements change as you move further through the clinical and development program uh, towards commercial, towards pivotal, but recognizing that perhaps your indication is one that could get an accelerated status is something to keep in the back of your mind when you're doing your evaluation because you're gonna ask them to pivot in terms of their internal processes. And Stephanie's talked a lot about the culture of the CDMOs, their ability to effectively move from development to commercial is not that different than a drug sponsor's ability to move from, from innovation to uh, commercial. So uh, you're really looking for someone that's done that before and has defined processes around that. You bring up several points there, Bikash, that I, I, I want to come back to. Um, one specifically about what to do in the many halls at CPHI oh, in Frankfurt. Yeah. But but before we get on to that, I also want to bring up your, your auditing um, uh, examples and, and kind of the importance of, of auditing CDMOs um, right. from your partner's perspective. Um, it's not just a simple checklist, is it? Um, how do you really go about um, checking in with that CDMO, asking the right questions, um, doing due diligence? What, what, what sort of tips would you and Stephanie suggest um, when really kind of getting under the hood of potential CDMO partners? Right. Well, I think there's all the classical GMP inspection history, those sorts of elements that you're going to want to get information with. But we have sort of a structured methodology. We put together a questionnaire that reflects sort of the key attributes of what we're going to need technically from that particular CDMO to participate in. And that questionnaire is usually provided to the potential candidates in advance. So we give it to them so they can respond to that. And that usually prompts a follow-on conversation in which it's going to be an on-site visit or these days a Zoom call if it's around the world for us to be able to uh, really dig into how they handle it. Uh, you know, one of the things I always ask is, uh, uh, do you have the ability to do, to develop a host cell protein assay for this particular biologic project product? And uh, I would say seven years ago, 50% of the CDMOs I would meet would say, well, we can do it for you, but we don't keep the expertise in-house. All right, so that's an issue. So uh, it, it may be an issue only in that perhaps the technical residency in-house is not as deep or as broad as I'm going to need to go to commercial. I'm anticipating what the FDA is going to look for on that. So understanding those key must-haves in your journey as you move through the uh, drug development process is really important 
to infuse in your evaluation process. Yeah. You look at the flow, you look at the, the depth of uh, expertise in the leadership at this organization, the VP of quality, the VP of regulatory, the VP of manufacturing, there are indeed heads and understanding what the team looks like underneath them is going to give you an idea of how big or how short their bench is. And that's going to have a profound impact on your ability to move quickly or to make sure you get close to doing it right the first time. Uh, it also is going to tell you how deeply you're going to have to be involved in steering, shepherding, and overseeing the execution of the work. So usually that's all part of that evaluation process that we do. Um, it's, it's, you know, it goes way beyond the classical GMP checklist. I'll give you an example. We work with, uh, Stephanie and I went a larger mediation project with a company that uh, did biologics, aseptic processing, and they were terrific at the development partnership piece. Uh, but, and they had a lot of commercial products, but as we started looking at some of these remediation activities, I asked them to pull all the lots within a particular time period that were manufactured for this particular product that we were trying to look at. And they, it took them a week. They could not do it. And I said, why can't you do it? He goes, well, we have no way of linking the lot to the manufacturer, to the drug sponsor, to the development. We end, ended up having to find it by looking at the invoicing history. All right. So if that's going to be your commercial partner, they're a core component of your recall mechanism. If there is an issue environmentally and a raw material, et cetera, they've got to execute. So you've got to think about what this CDMO partner is going to do for you ultimately when you go to market with them. Um, and so extending the evaluation beyond just what you need today to look at the kinds of supports that are going to evolve as you move from development to commercial is really important to get a sense for. That, that's really interesting. Stephanie, um, well, I guess, um, are there any other red flags perhaps that sponsors um, or end users should be looking for when they're conducting these um, quality audits with potential CDMOs? Yeah, so absolutely, Dan. And I think one of the things that I'll add to what Bikash said, so certainly, you know, we're all used to using checklists as part of that auditing process. But uh, for me, one of the things that, that we do when we evaluate CDMOs for for our clients is really spend some time looking, starting with the auditor we've selected first and the characteristics of the auditor, because a lot of those kind of conversations, like Bikash mentioned the question about, you know, host cell protein. I like to throw out there hypothetical questions about how would you handle, um, you know, a product specification failure, right? What is the process by which you do that? Walk me through that. How do you investigate that? Um, you know, there's a lot of of questions that you need to ask. So you really need auditors that can get beyond document review. So a lot of times um, drug sponsors will send an audit team in and they spend a lot of time reviewing procedures, reviewing example documents, but not engaging with the CDMO in questions and really gauging that depth of experience, that ability to handle the unexpected that often happens when you get into the drug development process and the, the associated manufacturing processes. And I think that that's, that's not a skill that every audit team is going to really have. So making that, that people selection first and foremost to go into that audit is, is absolutely, absolutely crucial in my, in my opinion. And I think when you look at the types of questions, you know, the, the, for me, it's not just about the documents they show you, but giving them some of those curveballs. I mean, I actually ask CDMOs when I go in questions 
that really help me to ascertain whether or not they can support me if I need to go down a recall. I mean, if you've never had the pleasure of going through a recall experience, the ability to do exactly what Bikosh was describing in terms of generating that full lot history is absolutely imperative. And if you get partnered with somebody who can't do that, it, you are going to struggle and be under a lot of pressure if something goes that wrong where you're actually having to, to pull a recall. So there's a whole host of those kind of questions. The other piece that that I think is often underestimated, and again, it, it's the difference between an auditor who goes in to review documents and an auditor who goes in not only to understand that, but to understand the people that they're going to be working with is somebody who can you know, look and kind of what I call read the room right? Look at the body language that's happening, ascertain how comfortable people are when they're talking about their processes, how they handle events, you know, how they troubleshoot uh, technical challenges, because people who are naturally good at that, they have that rich technical expertise and are comfortable with uncertainty, have a have a different way of carrying themselves in a different way that they're going to interact and describe that. And that's data that a drug sponsor with the right kind of audit team can actually pick up on as part of that selection process. So I think that there's there's some of that that comes in and it and it can start even with those initial conversations on a show floor like at CPHI. It it happens as you meet and interact people. So having people who have those skills and capabilities as part of your evaluation team are I feel are also very important. Well, with that, I think that's a nice little segue to talk about um, what to do at CPHI. So um, let me give you a, uh, a scenario. Um, I'm, a, I'm an end user. I'm a small biotech or a mid-sized company, and I'm attending CPHI for the first time. Um, and I'm worried about securing capacity next year when I need it. Um, where should I really begin at CPHI um, to go to take my molecule from, say, preclinical into clinical? Bikash? Yeah, I think you, uh, well, certainly. So when I've done the show here, wear comfortable shoes. That's my first recommendation because you're <laughs> going to go to 16 mess halls at the Mesa. It's a lot of walking that you're going to have, uh, 50,000 people. It can get overwhelming. But there's a lot of uh, uh, tools that CPHI provides to try and uh, facilitate meetings there. So you're going to use the portal in advance to try and reach out to potential CDMOs that are candidates for you to. Uh, potentially support your work so that you can uh, uh, talk about your criteria, your timing, your capacities, etc. And you kind of use the CPHI show as a filtering opportunity there. So come with your questionnaire, your formal questionnaire that you want to have answered. Um, come with your uh, key must-haves, uh, timing, capacity, expertise, access to raw material. Know what you want the CDMO to do for you, right? So if they're gonna be responsible for sourcing the raw materials, for procuring it, all of that, they need to know that in that particular engagement. So have a very clear idea about what you're asking them to do in terms of this next step in your drug development process. You don't have to have the be all to end all. Uh, you're not gonna sign the contract in this meeting, but you're certainly gonna prompt a follow on deeper conversation to do some of the things that Stephanie has been talking about there in terms of the secondary evaluation uh, of these uh, of these particular uh, service providers, um, we find that uh, that uh, there is always capacity. We can always find capacity somewhere in the world. That's Australia. It's in Germany. It's in Switzerland, etc. If you're amenable and it's appropriate, 
for a particular molecule for you to consider those platforms, you will find capacity and you're going to find them concentrated in CPHI in a really reasonably localized fashion there. So you can hit a high number of targets in, uh, in several days, far more than if you were trying to do it iteratively uh, on the web, trying to set up uh, evaluation uh, conversations with them. So that would be my recommendation is to, to try to orchestrate these meetings in advance and come in with a very clear understanding for a 15 or 20 minute highly focused conversation with these different folks. Uh, oftentimes you have biz dev that's there, uh, but these if they're good, if these are quality CDMOs, they have their the basics uh, at their fingertips, their inspection history, their experience with the molecule platform, their experience going from X phase to Y phase in terms of that, if they've done commercial products, those, those bits of data are there. So you can at least pass the growth screen. And then if you can set up a 20 minute or a 30 minute meeting with them, you can delve into the details of how, uh, of uh, what you need and when you need it to see if they're a potential candidate. And then at that point, you can engage your own process in terms of moving them through the evaluation and, uh, and uh, uh, qualification exercise. But again, it's probably key to do your homework before you go and uh, know your molecule as, as, as inside out as you possibly can. Stephanie, uh, similar sort of scenario, I guess, um, if, if I'm looking to go from phase two to uh, um, uh, late stage and commercial, um, similar sort of um, tips you'd give to someone attending CPHI or, or do you have anything else there that um, might be uh, crucial? No, I think I think preparation actually is the key. I, I second what Bikash says. I think going into CPHI, that kind of event with a plan, uh, doing a little bit of research before you get in there to understand who's going to be there, who narrow, kind of narrow down a selection as to who you want to talk to. Um, I really look at an, an opportunity like a show like CPHI is is really that 15 or 20 minutes is is really a chance and an opportunity for you to get beyond a little bit the data and information that's on their websites, right? That that basic information that you can freely access. And I think heading in with your questionnaires, if you know you have an extensive questionnaire that you'd like them to complete, you know, don't go through it there on the show floor, take value to kind of do some probing Q&A and leave that with them. I mean, they're gonna have their BD teams there. They'll get that funneled back into the right, right folks, but go ahead and leave that with them, right? Don't be afraid to, to reach out and get that process really initiated at that point. Um, I think the other thing is, is certainly uh, if you find CDMOs that you're connecting with or you think really do have that high potential, um, you know, it certainly isn't a bad thing to kind of really talk about that next step kind of coming out of the show so that you leave the show knowing that you're going to have another connection point with them and you don't potentially lose the momentum through um, an engaging even 20 minute conversation right you can you can have get a lot of information maybe you don't want to lose three weeks waiting for follow-up let's go ahead and schedule that next call pull out calendars and get that done before you get out there um, so that might be the only thing i add to what bikash does well, with that, um, we are running very short on time. However, there is a question from the audience that's come through. And um, uh, the question is, how has the pandemic changed a sponsor's strategy in procuring a CDMO? Now, just bearing in mind, Bikash, that you said there's always capacity somewhere in the world. I'm wondering if you want to take this question on, because as we all know, during COVID and 
well, still, uh, CDMO capacity was exceptionally stretched, especially in sort of the uh, the biologics right. and the, uh, the, the sort of uh, cell and gene therapy side of things. So, uh, right. yeah, if you've got a, a brief uh, comment to say on the pandemic and its uh, lasting effect, that would be great. Yeah, I think uh, I I think it I think that's uh, absolutely true, uh, Dan. Right now, that uh, people are not 100% back to pre-COVID sort of uh, business mores and practices. Uh, we we developed, and Stephanie could speak to it better. We developed a very effective way of doing virtual audits with CDMOs and uh, other contract service providers out there, because uh, many parts of the world that's still what we're we're doing, and actually in many ways it's it's really efficient to do that. We can hit quite a few potential candidates very quickly and get some really in-depth uh, insight as to whether they're capable of doing it. Uh, I, I do think there's an awful lot of uh, investment going into the CDMO space in the US. We've seen Wuxi is building a large plant. Fuji's here now. Samsung is building a facility here. Uh, you may not get your first choice for CDMO partner based on program timing and constraints out there, but uh, we have not had a situation where we weren't able to find a high quality uh, CDMO partner that wasn't able to service us, to bring our programs our clients' programs uh, through the development process. So I kind of stand behind that message that um, if you're open to uh, having a, a CDMO partner, perhaps that's not right next door, but you're going after the best candidate with the best uh, skill set to fit your particular need, you, you can generally find it. So there is that capacity. It's just yeah. you may, yeah, you, you may have to um, do your research and do your work. Yes. Stephanie, any final thoughts there on um, on how the pandemic's changed this sort of strategy, or um, did Bikash sum it all up? No, I think the only thing I would add is is looking through the pandemic. I think the the adaptation that we've all gone through to virtual technology. I mean, even the the prevalence of opportunities like this to have conversations with with people around the world um, in a in a very brief period of time has really opened up the door to that, that available capacity that can be located anywhere in the world. And that extends down even into the audits and technical processes, right? We have learned how to do those evaluations without physically being in a facility. And again, it may or may not be ideal, but you know, certainly sometimes flying halfway around the world to do a, a one or two day evaluation is also a, a very timely and exhausting exercise to, to go through. Uh, so it is kind of nice to be able to, to you know, Vikash mentioned, we've got a, a robust process for doing that uh, with suppliers around the world. Uh, we do it from the comfort of our own homes, right? Yeah. And it's, it's not long stretches of time in Zoom meetings either. We've come up with a construct that that allows some flexibility and as a combination of collaboration tools that that leads to a more effective audit when you're not physically on the facility. So it, again, I think that that's that's something that is really, I think, here to stay as we go forward that really came out of the pandemic. Yeah. And I suppose it also uh, lowers everyone's carbon footprint as well. Um, yeah. On that note, um, I'm sorry, but time has defeated us. I'd like to thank uh, the panel, uh, Bikash Chatterjee and Stephanie Golding from Pharmatech Associates. And um, I'd just like to give a very quick reminder that CPHI Worldwide will be back in Frankfurt on November the 1st to 3rd. Um, and from what I've been told, they're expecting delegate numbers to return to a pre-pandemic level. So once again, thank you to the panel and thank you for watching.